0: My name is Caesar. I'm one of the pastors here, also the pastor for Celebrate Recovery. It's a blessing to be here with you this morning to be able to share a word of a word from the Lord with you this morning. Um, uh, I thank God for the opportunity to 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 be here. You know, I, I always uh, there's one of the members in the in the first service. He always says, uh, whenever I see him, um, I say it's good to see you, and he and he always says, well, it's good to be seen and not viewed. So. Um, it's good to be seen this morning and not viewed, so thank God, that's always a blessing. Well, uh, as we, as we prepare uh, for uh, this time, um, I want to draw um, our, our our message from uh, the, this passage found in Luke, the twelfth chapter, verses one through 10. Um, and I won't read the whole passage, but I'll read a portion of it. but will you uh, prepare your hearts now as we listen? For the word of God. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear of the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who will kill the body, and after that can do no more, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not sparrows, are not five sparrows sold for pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your amazing, amazing grace that meets us once again in this most holy place. We pray now, God, that you would rescue me from me and that you would rescue all of us from ourselves, and God, that you would use me in spite of me, and that you would hide all of us behind your cross, that we may see you lifted up and glorified. We pray that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart holy and acceptable in your righteous sight. And then, God, we will be mindful in all things to give you all praise, honor, and glory. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you think with me uh, for a few minutes on this thought, the difficult call of discipleship? As we take the time to think about this passage and as we continue this series, Meeting Jesus, for the first time. I'm reminded of a Native American proverb that says, there exists in each one of us two warring wolves. One wolf, the proverb contends, is a beast that represents envy, pride, greed, arrogance, self-pity, shame, lies, false superiority, insecurity, despair, doubt, and hate. The other wolf, this proverb contends, is a beast that represents serenity and humility, kindness, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, joy, peace, faith, hope, and love. And that the wolf, the wolf that wins the battle in our life, is the wolf we feed the most. As I think about my human existence in the spiritual journey I'm on, I must admit that as a spiritual being encapsulated and dependent on this physical body to live, that I'm often torn and conflicted as to which wolf I will feed to protect this vulnerable existence of mine. When I think about how I can lose this physical life and all that I love through no fault of my own, I live with a spiritual anxiety that lures me to focus my attention more on my physical needs than on the spiritual needs of my life. Therefore, I find myself in a constant battle trying to balance my life between the physical and the spiritual world in which I live when I feel and know the weakness of this human body and see the immediate dangers of this world and how it threatens my physical existence, I must admit that I am naturally drawn and conditioned to paying more attention to the carnal wolf of my soul because it gratifies my immediate need for physical and emotional security. Therefore, rather than trusting in the everlasting love of God to preserve my spiritual existence, I'm always tempted to place my trust in the degradable human constructs of this world, erroneously believing that that the stuff of this world can save and satisfy my sin-sick soul. So I burn, I burn like a hot flame consuming the material things of this world to secure this physical existence, believing the lie that if I can get enough education or have the right relationship or hold the right position or make enough money or project the right image or have the right religion, that I can secure this vulnerable existence from the perils of this dangerous world. Yes, as I think about my faith and where God is calling me to, I must admit that I don't want to follow God's call because I know that following God's call of discipleship will disrupt my plans of a peaceful and easy life and challenge my natural tendencies to look out for my own physical well-being, to look out for me first. However, as much as I think the stuff of this world can save this earthly life of mine, Jesus warns me through this passage to beware, of having, to beware of having a save this, save this life at all cost mentality because there's, there is more to this life than just this body. Jesus says this in verse 4 and 5, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. But I warn you, fear him who after he has killed has the authority To cast into hell. In other words, while our physical being is important and should be valued as a gift from God, it is our spiritual beings that we should be more mindful of because it is that essence of which, it is that essence that God wants, of us that God wants to relate to. Having said this about our spiritual lives, I'm not saying that we should not. Be concerned about what happens in our earthly life. Because to limit our focus on just spiritual needs would make us, as my grandmother used to always say, we'd be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. I love what James 2, 14 and 2 says. It says, what is it profit, my friend, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which they are needed for their bodies, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Thus taking care of our spiritual life first should Inform how we live and use and nurture and physical and, and nurture our physical beings, which should be an expression of God's grace in the world. So there's a question. There's always a question from the preacher. So the question is, is how do we balance, how do we balance our spiritual life with this physical life? and live out this difficult call to discipleship? As we enter into, as we, as we continue this journey through this Lenten season, and as we, as we approach Easter, how do we, how do we as a people of faith truly live out who we are called to be and the difficult call that God places on each one of our lives? The first thing, the first thing that we must know is that Jesus is calling us to a place of humility. Jesus is calling us to a place of humility. There are several warnings that Jesus gives to his disciples when, when, when it comes to following uh, his call. And the, 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 the very first call that, or the warning that he places on his disciples is not to be prideful. In fact, before Jesus warns the disciples, he, he, he points out to them not to be like the Pharisees, for he says, he, says, he says to them, be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees so that, so that none of that stuff will grow in your life. And if you go back and you look at chapter 11, verses 42 through 44, Jesus highlights what that yeast is. When he admonishes these Pharisees and he says, he says to them, he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful, and, and respectful greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk all, over without knowing. I love what Gordon MacDonald says. He says, Humility is not acquired by being modest. It is found in embracing the simple matters of ordinary life and work. Not only will I take out the garbage or clean the bathroom because I'm asked, I would assume such chores as an ongoing responsibility. I find much of God's presence in doing the simple things. Thus, I would submit to you, The reason humility is important because it moves us from above others to a with others mentality. And I would suggest to you that when we are with others, we are open to learning and forgiveness and love. The second thing, and the second thing, and the second place that God calls us to is, God calls us to a place of integrity. God is always calling us to to a place of integrity to live out the truth of the gospel, to live out what God has called all of us to do every day, to praise God with all of our hearts, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, to live out the truth of the gospel, to seek for all of humanity goodwill. I love what Matthew's 5:37 says. It says, "Let your yes be yes, and your no's be no's. Anything beyond that is evil." When it comes to living out our faith, when it comes to being all that we are called to be, it requires that that we allow ourselves, that we that we lean into, to living a life of integrity. It's not always easy. Living a life of integrity, I would be the first to tell you that you know uh, when you live a life of truth, there's always risk involved. I um, I work as a as a chaplain at Methodist Hospital, and and we have several hospitals um, in the system, and Mansfield Methodist is one. We have one at Charlton, and one in Dallas, and one in Richardson. And occasionally, uh, I'll begin my day either in Richard—I mean—in Mansfield or at, at Richardson, and and uh, and then I'll have a meeting, and then I'll and then I'll go to the other campuses, and so I I, I end up doing a lot of driving across the, the metroplex. And occasionally, and and, and occasionally, one, one, one day I had a, a meeting in Mansfield, and um and I uh, as I. Got done with that meeting. I I was also supposed to be in Dallas because we were having a board meeting, and I was scheduled to do the invocation for the board meeting. And I remember looking at my clock and going, "Oh my goodness, I got to get out of here because I had to drive to Dallas to get uh, to the hospital so I can um, so I can do the invocation for the board meeting." And so I I got in a car with about thirty minutes to get from here to Dallas. <laughs> This is not going to turn out good. So I jumped in the car and uh, you know I, I started down 360 and you know I'm zipping. you Start slow, but then you go a little bit faster and faster, and then by the time I hit 20, uh, I'm full throttle to spur 408 to to 30, and and I'm I, I'm I'm like I, I'm getting ready to get to the Colorado exit, and and right before I get to the Colorado exit, uh, right at that Hampton exit, there's a little area, a little blind spot that, that you cannot see. And I came over, came over the top of that hill and passed that blind spot, and there was the Dallas Sheriff Department sitting there waiting on me. The lights went off, and I was like, Oh, God grant me the serenity. police officer I, I pulled over and the, the police officer pulled behind me and and so you know I I, I grabbing the insurance paper and I grabbing my license and I looked in my wallet and I grabbed my card. It said chaplin on there and <laughs> 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 uh, uh, the sheriff, she walked up to the side of the car and she looks in and, you know, it just it, it just does not feel good. You feel like you're in the principal's office. I don't know why when they look at you, they got to look at you like this, you know. And so she, you know, I hand her the driver's license and the insurance card and, and then I hand her the the uh, my business card. <laughs> she takes it and she looks at it and then she looks in there. She says... So chaplain, where are you going in such a hurry? <laughs> and you know, I wanted to tell her something that, you know, just would sound desperate, like, there's a family that needs me. Somebody's dying and I need to be there. <laughs> and I I, I I said, well, you know, I gotta tell you the truth. I I left the meeting late and I, and I have to do a prayer over in Dallas and, and, I'm, I, and I just got to get there and, and I I'm, I'm, I'm speeding and, you know, I'll take whatever I, whatever I have to take. And she looked at me and she looked at the thing and she says, well, pastor, she said, you need to slow down. She says, because I want you praying for others instead of having others pray over you. She said, Have a good day. I was like, Oh, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Living a life of integrity, telling the truth, being all that God has called us to be, making God's presence known in the world, it's always risky. It's always risky. But God says, I am the truth, the way, the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. And That if God's presence is going to be made known, then we must live with real truth in our life. Finally, the third, the third thing that God is calling us to, and God calls all of us to, is to seek the image of of God in our life and in the, lives, in the lives of others. I love this passage in Matthew's, Matthew 3, 6, 33 that says this. It says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. When we seek and look for God's presence in everything, it's hard for us. It's, it's hard for us to hate. And as a result, we get life. We get love and we get life when we seek God's presence. Now, let me just say this. Now, having said that, let me just add this. While I know that there are some things that are are not of God, I do believe that God is present in spite of the stuff, in spite of the evil that exists. Because God's grace can penetrate the darkness of this world. Because God's grace is powerful. And God calls all of us to seek God's presence in everything. When I was in seminary, I remember learning this theological term called Imago Dei. And the word Imago Dei basically means the image of God. What it it means, and the basic essence of the definition is that it is the image of God made present and actualized in the lives of humanity. It is the unique quality that, 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 that we find in each one of us, the creativity and all of the, the, the will that we have, the free will that we have is all of the image of God. And God calls us to love humanity with our whole hearts it's not easy and it's always costly because to love all of humanity with our whole hearts cost will cost us something and sometimes it will cost us our lives i remember i remember in my own life how these principles played out with my own relationships and my friends. I have a good friend. His name is Dr. Luckett. And when I was growing up, uh, Dr. Luckett, I I grew up in a small town in southeastern Oklahoma um, near McAllister. And if you drive down Uh, Highway 75, it connects with Highway 69, and it runs into McAllister, and then there's Highway 270, and you go east on 270, and there's a small town uh, in southeastern Oklahoma called Hartshorn, Oklahoma. I always say Hartshorn, Oklahoma, population, two chickens and a duck. (laughs) And it's where I grew up, and it's where I met Dr. Luckett. And I met Dr. Luckett because I, when I, when I, uh, when I, when I uh, was in the seventh grade, I started playing football. And uh, you know, when you're a seventh grader and you're six foot, two hundred pounds, uh, you're an all-star. It doesn't take much, you know. I, I tell people all the time when I you know I was in, in seventh grade, I'd stand right there and you know, all a little little 150 pound kid bounce off of me and the coach was like, Man, you're good, you know. All state. <laughs> and and I and, and so I began playing football and Doctor Luckett would come to the games and eventually got to meet Doctor Luckett uh, in those games and he was the dentist in our hometown and dr luckett as i as as it was such a important time in my life because at that time i was exploring my own faith and trying to figure out what it meant to be a christian and i was trying to dissect how, how do i be a football player and a christian at the same time and about that time dr luckett brought uh, to Hartshorn, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and he became a huddle leader over this, over this uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, um, huddle that that was in Hartshorn. And so I got an opportunity to go to these huddle meetings with Dr. Luckett and we would and and it would be all of the football team and and other sports and and kids from the high school would come to his house and and we would, you know, have hot dogs and there were bonfires and all kinds of things that we would do and then we would, you know, sing songs and we'd have a Bible study and and then we'd leave and then we'd have some project but it was it was it was a wonderful opportunity for me, uh, um, growing 16-year-old boy trying to figure out his faith and figure out, uh, you know, my own talent and trying to make my way in the world. To have this this organization there uh, to be a part of, and so Dr. Luckett would always, occasionally, he would invite us to, to go to church, and I and I loved going to church with Dr. Luckett and, and I loved, uh, going to, to my, my own home church, but I'd love to, to go to Dr. Luckett's church because after church, we would always go get something to eat and that was always good. (laughs) And so I remember one Sunday I called Dr. Luckett and and he would take us to church. And, and I remember I called Dr. Luckett and I told him, I said, I, I wanted to go to church with him. And he said he would be by to pick me up. And I remember he came by my house and, and he, uh, he picked me up, and we got in the car, and and we started driving, but we started going in the opposite direction of of the church that we normally went to to worship with. And so I looked at Dr. Luckett, and I said, I thought we were going to church this morning. He said, he said we are, but we're not going to that church. And I said to him, I said, well, I said, why? I said, uh, you know, why are we not going? And he said, well, he said, I got a call last week from somebody in the church that told me that we didn't want to have those kids at our church. And he said, in particular they didn't want to have any of those black kids in our church. I looked at Dr. Luckett. He looked at me, and he said, and I talked to the pastor. And the pastor didn't have anything to say or didn't want to do anything about it. He said, and he looked at me and he said, so we're going to find a different church to go to. He said, we're going to find a different church to go and worship and a a different place to, to go and worship where we can worship together. When Dr. Luckett followed the simple truth of the gospel, when he began to follow this simple truth of seeing me as part of his own life, what Dr. Luckett was saying to this 16-year-old African-American boy was that your black life matters, that you matter to me, that you matter to God, that you matter to this church. Dr. Luckett, we eventually found a church, and, and we started worshiping in that church. And, and, and Dr. Luckett moved away from being just Dr. Luckett to being a close friend. As I played football and, and graduated from high school and had scholarship offers from all over the country, Dr. Luckett was there with me. When I signed my letter of intent, I was in his front room. He, he, he had a cake, and, and it had OU on it. I'm sorry, Texas fans. Um, <laughs> and he had, he had everything laid out in a big celebration at his house. He became that confidant. When I went off to Oklahoma and went to school, And I was so ill-prepared. I I tell people I I was in special reading, special writing, took special uh, arithmetic, made special case cereal in the morning. That's how special I was. (laughs) And I remember Dr. Luckett shared his wisdom with me, and he said, Caesar, when you get to college, he said, there's three things you need to do. He said, when you get to college, he says, show up to class every day. I don't care what's happening, show up to class every day. Then he said, sit in the front of the class every day. And then he said, and then sit next to the person who's writing the best notes and become their friend, <laughs> and you'll graduate. Five years later, I graduated from the University of Oklahoma with a degree in interpersonal communication. And Dr. Luckett was there. When I got drafted, into the NFL by the Chicago Bears, Dr. Luckett was there when I signed my contract and I called him and I said, I'm rich. I got (laughs) (laughs) $21,000. He was there. When I made the team and I said, Dr. Luckett, I, I made the Chicago Bears. He was there. When I got cut, Dr. Luckett was there. He told me, he said, you have a degree. I remember when I started coaching and, and I, was, I was curious, I, 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 I wanted to coach and I had questions about the call on my life and, and I remember accepting the call into ministry and leaving coaching, Dr. Luckett was there. I remember all of these different things that happened in my life, Dr. Luckett was there. And the only reason that I listened and held on to Dr. Luckett was because he held on to the truth of this cross. When I look at where I am today and I look at the blessings that I experience in my life yeah, they probably could have happened without Dr. Luckett, but I give Dr. Luckett a whole lot of credit for being there. I want to show you this picture of Dr. Luckett and and his and his wife Susie and his grand and granddaughter Chloe. And then these are my kids, Kara, Chloe, and Dennis. And and when I when I Talk to Dr. Luckett, and, and he sees my kids. He calls them his grandkids, and, and he calls me his grandson, and, and I call him my white daddy, you know? <laughs> and then we'll sit and talk, and he'll ask me, he says, how's Kara doing? And I say, Kara, she's graduating from Stanford this year, and she got accepted by Berkeley and Stanford and George Washington University. How's Chloe doing? I said, oh, she's studying music at Stephen F. Austin. How's Dennis doing? I said, he's trying to figure out how to tie his shoes. (laughs) And then he'll look at me and he'll say, Caesar, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe that this has happened. And I always, when I see Dr. Luckett, I, I, I call him Dr. Luckett for terms of endurement. He hates me. I call him Dr. Luckett. He's like, you call me dad. But when I, when I, when I, when I, I see him, I always hug him and I say, thank you. Thank you for being true to the call in your life. Thank you for risking your own reputation for a 16-year-old boy that didn't have anything to give you. Thank you for being true to that amazing gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know where God is calling you to in this Lenten season, in this journey. But I do know that God is calling for God's presence to be made known in this world. And the only way that that presence is made known is if you live wholeheartedly with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Loving God with all of our hearts and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Trusting, trusting ultimately in the end that God will have the last word. God had the last word and continues to have the last word. My hope for all of us, as we journey, as we journey to Easter, that we'll take up the cross, that we'll do the difficult work of being disciples of Jesus Christ, so that we make God's presence known in the world. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your amazing, amazing grace that meets us once again in this most holy place. God, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit, that you would breathe into us your breath of life, that you would help us to take up the cross, to do the difficult work of discipleship, so that your presence, your presence is made known in the world. Amen.